From the clip shown on Tomorrow's World, 12-year-old Ben was already a firm fan of the soon-to-be-released movie Star Wars. So he was deeply apprehensive of the outer space scenes in the first part of the new story of Doctor Who. Doctor Who in space? Whatever next? How could his favourite TV show compete with his new favourite movie? This is a Flashback Metabulous 2 podcast on The Invisible Enemy. Well, we should 56? check that. 56? <laughs> Shoot. Uh, anyway, in the mid-50s. <laughs> of, uh, they just roll on. We're on 57, would you believe? 57? I cannot <laughs> believe it. We're going to have to have some kind of celebration for 60. Uh. Um, okay, we're episode 57 of the Metabolist 2 podcast, which is unusually featuring me, Ben. What a surprise. And uh, your cohort is David. <laughs> and this week, we will be uh, in our part of our Leela retrospective. Yes. We have got to the Invisible Enemy, which is really the kind of first of the kind of brightly colored, um, the brightly colored yep. uh, uh, kind of episodes, <laughs> I guess is what I'm calling them. This <laughs> um, uh, Invisible Enemy always gets, a, it, it, it's, a, it's a little loved um, yeah. Uh, story. Yeah. Would, would, wouldn't you say, David? Uh, I mean, I'm not getting a lot of people saying, "Oh, great, the no, yeah. is on." Yeah, it is. Uh, I think the biggest fans of the Invisible Enemy are those people who were kids when the Invisible Enemy came out. Right. It was the introduction of K9, which is you know, kids loved it. The older fans just really didn't really didn't like it. Kind of goes you know, shooty dog thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, much derided. You know, in, in some ways, K9 is worse than the sonic screwdriver in some people's minds. So it has uh, it has a lot of hallmarks of this is the starting of when the budget started getting really strapped. And, right. you know, the wheels might be seen to start spinning off of the Doctor Who machine. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good assessment. I mean, I think we both saw this episode at roughly the same age i was mm-hmm. i think 12 and you were i think 12 yep. um what did you think i mean what could so, because that's right on the cusp yep on the cusp of of not being a kid and being a teenager um so i mean which where, where, where did you where did you fall on the great k9 debate i loved k9 k9 was great and that was pretty much my biggest memory of this before i rewatched it on vhs really it was, this is the story of k9 and a lot of a lot of the other things about it, like the nucleus and <laughs> just the Baker Martin, the Bristol Boys tropes in there, like with the catchphrase and stuff, I didn't remember at all until rewatching okay. again, uh, probably in my early 20s or late teens. Okay, okay. 
Well, okay, my experience was diametrically opposite to yours. Um, I hated canine. Ah. <laughs> really hated it. In mm. fact, it tainted the whole story for me. Really? Um, I loved the going into brains. I thought the nucleus of the swarm was awesome. Mm -hmm. I loved all the space battles, or like, it's just, that's not space, but, but spaceships flying around. Right. Um, the, the silvery kind of eye, flaky eye decoration, <laughs> um, I thought was amazing. <laughs> I, I definitely remember going around with my friends going contact has been made mm -hmm. to each other quite a lot. Um, but I hated, I, I thought canine was absolute rubbish. Mm. Um, I, I thought it was like fan pandering. I thought it was childish. It was mm -hmm. for kids. It was for the kids. It definitely was for kids. But, but it was for kids. But, but see, in my mind, see, Doctor Who was a grown-ups show mm -hmm. that was for kids. Or at least it was a kids show that like was 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 good enough for grown-ups right. and i felt oh no this okay they're they're going to start to make it really for kids mm -hmm. um which means i'm not going to be able to watch it anymore because it's my secret it's my grown-up show that grown-ups don't know is grown up right um so yeah so that's i i i, I really didn't care for canine at mm -hmm. all i'm sorry to say that canine fans but but it was it was true I, I can see that. I mean, K9 was a bit of a tool in this story. Yeah, in, in every sense of the word. <laughs> and he, he had his pluses and minuses. I liked it. I thought K9 was cute, and that was firmly on okay. Team K9. And okay. I, I can think forward to Warrior's Gate. I was really pretty sad to see K9 leave the show. I was delighted to see <laughs> K9 leave the show. <laughs> um, I think I pretty much the only uh, well I'm maybe we're jumping in I, I think it was really only the Sunmakers that I felt K9 succeeded for me hmm. everything else I just I, 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 he was just so it was so it's such a noticeable object mm -hmm. I think that's I mean over and over and above the kind of well I you know this is you know it's going to be like it's for kids mm -hmm. um, it, it always seemed to me that the K9 prop always slowed the action down and everybody had to basically make sure that the K9 prop was doing its thing hmm. while they were acting around it and it's it's and, and I think I think that's you know and the sets had to be designed so that you know K9 could move around properly right. blah 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 I mean I think uh, you know I've, I've obviously I've grown to love K9 over the years and and John Leeson you know is like a, a wonderful ambassador for the show and you know, all the stories about him going down on his hands and knees in rehearsals and being K-9 mm -hmm. and, and you know, doing the crossword with Tom Baker. And right. It's all, it's all brilliant stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, 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 I didn't like the punny, the punny name. Um, mm. that, that, that made it sound like, well, why didn't they call it like a proper robot name? <laughs> you know, rather like, you know, like Death Killer 7 or something. Well, um, I always thought that K-9 was kind of the subsequent factor of K-1 from Robot. Oh, whoa! That's why you're a genius, and I'm just like a regular. Well, I don't guy. know about that. That that totally makes sense. I'd never thought of that. Is have, have have you just made that up as being a thing, or is that? I don't know. That's always what wow. I was thinking. That that's incredibly smart. We we've never saw K two through K eight, but we started with K one back at Think Tank in the nineteen seventies or nineteen eighties. You know, with Unit, yeah. and then by the time that we had reached whatever century this was 50 <laughs> something i don't know 49th i can't remember we were on model k9 i i think that's i think that's super <laughs> smart yeah i i really i really think that's true <laughs> i actually think that's true so the name is just a coincidence 
Um, it is just a coincidence. It's it's it's. Uh, but hang on, hang on. Doesn't doesn't Professor uh, the guy who was on that other one? Um, uh, doesn't Frederick Jager, Professor Marius? Um, doesn't he say that he built K nine to replace his dog? Well, he, he had missed, he, had, he had him built. He had him built, mm -hmm. but to replace the dog that he missed left left back on Earth because right. you're not allowed dogs on Titan. Mm, that's true because the weight allowance. But it doesn't but, doesn't mean that the K9s couldn't come in all sorts of packaging. That's true. Well, you know, there there might have been a a Kettlewell nine of uh, you know in a hamster form or a oh, wow. monkey yeah, or I love something. A robot, <laughs> a robot monkey. Um, well, I'm genuinely I'm genuinely impressed by the insight. <laughs> well, I, it's uh, it's totally head cannon. It's entirely made up. So <laughs> uh, that's, that's the best kind of cannon. Best kind of cannon in my mind. Um, so. Okay, okay, we we we've got we've got K nine out of the way. Um, well, we, you know, K nine K nine was uh, not intended originally to be part of the show, and Bob Holmes suggested to Graham Williams that he might make a good addition. And bingo, yeah, that's why it stood around. And if they if they would have known the prop makers that K nine would have been around more than one show. I think they would have uh, designed them a little differently. Tried a bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. The design, yeah, I, I mean, mean, the design works pretty well, I think. Yeah. It's, well, it's okay, I guess. Again, I remember not liking the kind of legs on the side of it, um, which seemed to me, but uh, I don't know. Really? Um, Is it, those were legs? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah the, well, if you look hmm. at the side of K9, and like, you know, there's that kind of indent on his lower area. Oh. Um, there's the out, outline of a, of a dog's legs. Yeah, I never grokked onto that. That was the yeah. legs. Yeah. I thought that was more of a, the side axis computer panel or something like that. Well, I've, I always, because I mean, obviously, because I, you know, I love to draw things. Mm -hmm. The first thing I tried to do was like, I tried to draw I, everything. I, everything was on Doctor Who. I, I immediately drew after seeing Doctor Who. And I remember drawing a, a canine and, and thinking, oh, yeah, that's where that's where its legs are. Huh. That awful robot that I hate so much. Huh. Anyway. Huh. I did not uh, yeah. insight there. I guess that it sort of makes sense that that's kind of a robot-y legged uh, approach. Got four legs there. Yeah, if you look at the front, and I'm actually yeah. looking at a picture of canine on the yeah. internet right now. If you look, so he's got legs at the back and there's that kind of, you know, a diagonally bit like you know dogs legs go the wrong way mm -hmm. from normal normal well from human legs mm -hmm. at the back he's got that he's got a dog leg and then he's got two straight front legs at the front oh okay yeah never never noticed that detail yeah it's like a filled in dog now i can't unsee it <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's impossible to unsee i've ruined canine for you hooray yeah i always loved the design of canine and now you hate it because of me hooray um uh, where were we? We were still we were still, still talking about canine. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a there's a great Doctor Who tradition of just you know randomly producers deciding, oh yeah, well that worked. Let's mm -hmm. just keep it. Let's just keep it for mm -hmm. a bit. Um, and canine's a good good example of that. Uh, what do we think of the rest of the rest of the episode? Well, so we have John Leeson who did the voice of canine. He yeah. also did the voice of the nucleus. So there's the other proppy model mm. character. What did you think of the nucleus? I love the nucleus. I wish the nucleus had stayed on and been a companion <laughs> instead. Well, that would be... <laughs> no, I mean, no, I, I, I genuinely don't understand the nucleus hate um, mm. that is in fandom. I think... It's a super effective monster, and I think when it when it's I think the idea of having a virus. Well, I, I, obviously Doctor Who's always full of awesome ideas, um, 
Bob Baker and Dave Martin, you know, they, they're great at coming up with stuff. They're really bad at resolving anything. And that's, you know, it's yeah. hard. Everyone knows. It's really, really hard to resolve a plot. So I don't really hold that against them. You know, I love their catchphrases, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I just love the idea of, um, so you have, um, this is one of the things I think Doctor Who's really good at, which is taking a kind of old, styly science fiction concept and doing something really interesting and new with it. Mm-hmm. And the old, styly science fiction concept is the Fantastic Voyage, which was, you know, you shrink people down right. um, and you inject them into someone in order to do something inside them. And you get, you know, they, they get attacked by blood corpuscles and all right. the kind of stuff that happens when you get shrunk down like that. I just love the the reversal that uh, that Baker and Martin do. Well, if you can shrink big things down to a small size, you can also expand small things up to a big size. So why don't we take this 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 nucleus of the swarm, you know, this um, this virus of some kind, and, and make it a big one? And I think it's it it just it just works really really well for me. And I think it's an exciting concept. And I actually think it's realised pretty well. I think the kind of giant silvery prawn. Um, <laughs> That is the nucleus of the swarm. It's just really creepy and odd looking. Right. Um, it is. And it's, it's gross. It, it's, it's disgusting. It is gross. It's just gross. It's disgusting as a giant virus would be. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's got a creepy voice. Um, and, it, and I like the way that it doesn't move very well. It has to be kind of helped along. <laughs> um, because obviously it's, you know, it's too big. It's supposed to be the size right. of a virus. Gravity is this, playing havoc on it. Exactly. Of course it's kind of crippled and weird looking. Right. Um, and I, I think it's super effective and I love it. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize until this rewatch that it is John Leeson doing the voice. And I think he does a really good voice. It's very different from his canine voice, a deep and gravelly, raspy voice of Nucleus of the Swarm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, he's, I'll have to say, I didn't know he did the voice either until you just told me. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, kudos <laughs> to John Leeson. He, he should have done more other voices for things. <laughs> of canine, of, a different voice every week. <laughs> yeah, he should have done a different voice every week. Um, uh, yeah, he should. Did, did he do any other voices on Doctor Who, John Leeson? I don't know off the top of my head. He did play play Dugin in Power of Crawls, so he used his normal voice there. Oh, yeah. He was in the Power of Crawl, wasn't he? Yeah. Hmm. I'm just looking on the internet to see what else he was in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, he's, oh, yeah, of course he was Bungle. <laughs> I knew he did something like that. What's that from? Uh, he was Rainbow, which is like a kid show, mm. like um, Sesame Street or something. Mm. And there were like this Bungle and Zippy. Um, Zippy's like a weird creature that has a zip for a mouth. Mm-hmm. And then Bungle's like a giant gay bear. <laughs> and um, not not a gay bear, as in like bears are nowadays. I'm like a big hairy man, but like an actual bear. Okay. Um, and uh, But yeah, he was very, he was very camp, camp bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was John Leeson. Huh. So anyway, there you go. All right. Enough of that. <laughs> well, another weird voice is... Frederick Jaeger as Professor Marius. What did you think of the? Uh, I guess it's German, German accent. Yeah, I, 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 I liked him. I like, I like Professor Marius. What I didn't like about Professor Marius is that he invented K9. <laughs> that he invented K9, and really made me turn, really made me turn against him actually. Um, but in general, I quite liked him. Yeah, I'm not really sure that he invented K9. I'm still. Oh, caused, I think he had he caused K9 built. K9 to be made. Yes. yes. There you go. Yeah. He's, you know, it's sort yeah. of, it's sort of like uh, commissioning yeah. a android or something somebody somebody made him yeah he went down to radio shack and they had all these canines he <laughs> went okay i'll have that one <laughs> yeah radio and well which, i mean yeah let's face it radio shack is where canine came from oh <laughs> space radio shack did you have radio shack in the uk in the 70s um you know 
I I think we had. Uh, did we have Radio Shack? Or is it? Have I been living too long in America and I'm just <laughs> imagining we were Radio Shack? We had the Maplin catalogue. Mm. That was um, that was our Radio Shack. Okay. That's where all the kind of nerds at school <laughs> got all their transistors and things mm-hmm. for when they were like building, you know. Well, it was where all the Bill Gateses that I was at school with like started out from the Maplin catalog, which is our which is our, our version of Radio Shack. I wonder if it's anyway. outlived Radio Shack because I think Radio Shack no, is no more anymore. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Maplin catalog doesn't exist anymore. I, I didn't know the Radio Shack had gone for. I, I thought they were still kind of hanging on, but are they gone for good? I well, who knows? Since we're not getting any sponsorship from them, yeah, they're they're dead. They're dead. All right, all right. <laughs> Well, it had been 11 years since the Fantastic Voyage, so it's obvious that this is the inspiration that uh, Bob Baker and Dave Martin had. It actually always kind of it always kind of amazes me when 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 you realize things like that that you know the the distance between Rackle Welsh and various other people whizzing <laughs> around in a tiny submarine inside, inside someone's body. body was only a decade or so right. before Doctor Who. And the reason why I always find that interesting is, of course, the Fantastic Voyage is a lot newer experience for me than The Invisible Enemy. Sure. So the, the kind of distance is, is, is sort of made weird, actually, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah, because you would have seen The Invisible Enemy probably far long before you saw Fantastic Voyage. Well, I, would, I, I think I saw The Fantastic Voyage. It was probably on the BBC, and I probably saw it sometime in the early 80s. Yeah. Well, maybe I didn't. Maybe I had to wait till it came out on video, actually. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I was just thinking that the CSO scenes inside the doctor's brain works really well, but where I think it falls apart is with The Fantastic Voyage. They're kind of like in a little mini miniaturized submarine which makes mm. more sense than just walking around in the brain, which is what Doctor and Leela do. Yeah, and I think even even at the tender age of 12, I was saying to myself, like, I didn't know there were, like, spaces in your brain that you could just walk around in like that. And it, the brain wasn't, like, a hard surface. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, but and again, you know, you can get all the kind of, you know, fanish, not fanish, kind of nerdy kind of objections, like, why aren't they naked? Um, you know, <laughs> Yeah, why, why they... isn't Louise Jameson naked? <laughs> yeah, why? Why? For God's why? Um, you know, because obviously if you, you, you've been cloned and then right. shrunk down, like, how have your clothes been right. cloned? Oh, you can't clone clothes. Well, I can That's understand ridiculous. why their clothes would have been shrunk because everything was shrunk, but why, once they're clones, why do they have their yeah. clothes cloned? Absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, uh, well, well, I, I know why. because you can't have them having no clothes um, on the television on primetime on Saturday night. Oh, I um, mean, but I guess... they had Benton on, what, in Time Monster? That Oh, yeah. He so was, they well, could have done something. I just think... They could have done is... something. Or they could, they could have had, like, a, you know, some clothes miniaturizing... Div- I don't know, something. something or something that would clone their clothes, too. Yeah. But yeah. I just... I just think that the you know overall the script has a lot of holes in it, and that's just one. Oh, of the, yes. that's just one of the holes. And another one of the holes is like on Titan, the Doctor puts himself in the coma and gives the coordinates to what BBC Television Centre or something, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. But then how does he and Leela and Lo get to the Bial Foundation in the asteroid belt? You know, what did he come out of the coma? The pilot TARDIS? Are we? Ex- do we expect? that Leela did this. I know Lowe didn't do it. Right, and, and, right. And that's, that whole bit is patched over by a, a really nice little Dudley Simpson interlude, but it, it you know. It's, boom, boom, oboe sound. <laughs> it's like two minutes long of model work. Right. And 
<laughs> Dudley Simpson soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Just, just a lot of things that once you start looking at it, there's a lot of problems with this script. There's a lot of problems with the script editing. And probably my biggest issue in it is just how Leela is treated. And this, is, right. this story came in production. It was bumped up in production because uh, Horror Fang Rock uh, needed to be written because the Witch Lords got bumped. Right. So they move up the invisible enemy, and I think it shows that Holmes didn't spend a lot of time script editing it. You know, yeah. you know, I don't know if Baker and Martin, the Bristol Boys, were considered trusted hands at this point for developing yeah. a script. But as Terrence Dix has said, the Bristol Boys were great on ideas, but he really had to tamp things down and rein things in and patch, patch. Oh yeah, they patch were. Holes. I mean, they were. Yeah, I mean, they were awful in terms of actually a plot that made mm-hmm. sense. I mean, you know, if, if, if at this point in their career they were seen as trusted hands, people <laughs> would be crazy. I think at this point in their career, people knew that they could come up with some really stonking sci-fi ideas. Right. Um, but they had no idea how to turn them into a plot that mm-hmm. made sense, in which case you needed to script edit. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, it is clear that Bob Holmes at this point, it was Bob Holmes who was... Yeah, who was, this is, I think, his last still, one yeah. that he edited. Yeah, he was, he'd either was like, you know, it was kind of a Friday job and he you know, wasn't really paying attention or he just didn't have time. Yeah, I, I think it shows signs that he was burning out creatively on yeah. the show. Uh, his creative partner, Hinchcliffe, had already left. Yeah. Uh, Graham Williams had persuaded him to stay on until he could find a replacement. He was under pressure because The Witch Lords was canceled and he and Dix had to come up with another script. And yeah. I just think that he kind of rubber stamped it and let it slide in because it's just not a quality script at all with plotting yeah. and holes and whatnot and i think the biggest biggest crime is the character of leela she's made to be stupid yeah and, and and the whole plot hinges on her not being intelligent and we've seen in face of evil robots of death towns of wang chang and horror fang rock that she is a very clever intelligent young woman and she's reduced to being the parrot who's asking stupid questions and yeah. both the doctor and Marius disparaging her intelligence. Right. And, right. and, and she doesn't even get the swarm, the, you know, the lurgy, the, the nucleus, because she's not seen as an intelligent and she's the reject. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, what, whatever, I mean, you know, leader is, is, can be a whole bunch of things. You know, she can be whatever you want it to be, but the one thing she isn't is is unintelligent. Right. Um, and I think the equation of uh, primitiveness or savageness with unintelligence is just, it's just like not wrong mm-hmm. for a start. And B, the whole point of Leela is that she's, you know, savage and primitive, yet also super intelligent. Right. That's what makes her an interesting character. Right. And she's a quick, quick study. Yep. Yep. She learns instantly and is incredibly adaptable and, you know, is a, is a really, is a great companion for the doctor. And I think Jameson even plays Leela differently. Her voice seems changed. It's softer. She plays Leela more naively. And I wonder if this was a reaction to the script or this is before a big falling out that happened on the set of Horror Fang Rock. Or right, whether she right, was, you know, right. still trying to find her way in the series, I just, I just wonder. Or you know, she was back in, she was back in her skin, so she 
probably yeah. was getting groped or I certainly, you know, looked over by the crew. By the crew, yeah, which is, you know, and again, it's, it's yes. And I think, I think, you know, such a, such a brightly lit, obviously kind of studio production, mm. you're basically walking around in your underwear. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. Right. It must have been very difficult for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it marks a change. It certainly is the, like you said earlier, this is the bright and shiny Graham Williams era. And I think you start to see where the budget is being cut like on Titan in the crew quarters with the ceiling is kind of billowy. And yeah, I mean, it's Barry Newberry. I mean, he's the godfather of Doctor Who design. He was on Unearthly Child and subsequent serials. But this, you could see where, you know, what worked in the black and white era, like in Keys and Marinus, isn't working quite as well in The Invisible Enemy. And just the, the production that followed, which was Horror Fang Rock, which we talked about last time, um, the lighting is different here. Even even on Titan, where we do have shadows and stuff, it still seems brightly lit compared to like the mechanical room or the boiler room in the lighthouse in Horror of Fang Rock. The lighting is yeah. lighting is different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I think they obviously um, they spent a lot of time and energy on the model work, mm-hmm. which. I think is I mean it's it's, it's actually I, to me it's it's you know it's, it's some of the best space mm-hmm. space model work that well that I've seen on who I mean yeah. obviously you know we we don't have something like the space pirates mm-hmm. which you know, et cetera, et cetera. But that's that's obviously costly. You know, mm-hmm. it's all shot on film. You got to pay Matt Irvin to well, whiz around yeah, doing stuff. Ian Schoons was the modeler for that, and he also yeah. did uh, his previous one. I think was Frontier in Space. So it's that same yeah. same quality of uh, design where the models start there i mean there are some questionable things kind of the jonky asteroid fields with look like uh, breakfast cereal spinning around and going right. at it really fast and this was as you said in the in your opening this was at the same time that star wars was being hyped in the uk it had already debuted in may in yep. the usa and yeah. I had already seen Star Wars by the time I had seen this. And, you know, Star Wars came. Oh, really? Well, yeah, because Star Wars came out in '77, yeah. and I didn't see this until 1982. So this was. What did you think then? I mean, c- c- comparing this to Star Wars, I mean, did you? Because that that was always, you know, the excuse, certainly in the '80s, why, where you know, why Doctor Who had to be killed in the end is because <laughs> it was never going to be as good as Star Wars. I mean, did 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 you make that um, comparison? No, at all? I, I thought um, the comparison I made was this is obviously the space shuttle. So this is like uh, this is yeah. how the space shuttle. So the space shuttle had just launched in eighty eighty one, a yeah, year I earlier. That very clearly, yeah. So the model was very reminiscent of the space shuttle because it had the cargo bay doors and it had the crew. Mm-hmm crew quarter and and i came to doctor who just as a hunger for sci-fi and outer space stuff so this was this was delivering to me what i wanted now what let's see empire was in 80 i don't know around uh, roughly in Mm, that and i don't know the thing with a movie for me i would see a movie once but with doctor who it was accessible. It was on in the Minneapolis, Twin Cities, uh, St. Paul area, Monday, right. Monday through Friday. And so that was my sci-fi fix. So any kind of jonky model work or anything I didn't care or I didn't pick up on, I was in it for the story, and I liked Doctor Who's stories. Yeah. Yeah, and I I, I mean, my, my experience is obviously, as, as we were saying, mm-hmm. uh, 
Star Wars had opened in, in earlier in the year in, in the United States. Uh, it wouldn't open until the end of December in the UK. I probably, I don't think I saw it until probably January 78. Right. But it had been, uh, the, especially the, uh, it, it, they, were sort of, they were hyping it pretty, pretty heavily mm-hmm. in the UK at that time, as far as I remember. Um, especially um, on a, sh- well, and I remember it from a show that, that I watched uh, religiously, almost religiously, as I watched Doctor Who, which is called Tomorrow's World, which was a kind of a, a kind of science show about like what things going to be like in tomorrow, mm-hmm. with uh, Michael Rod and um, Raymond Baxter and and people like that on it. It was a great show actually, Tomorrow's World. I can still sing the theme tune if you'd like. Anyway, that's that's how it goes. Look it up. Um, if you, <laughs> um, if any, if any of our listeners know the amazing comedian Peter Serowinovich, um, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He did an amazing ripoff of Tomorrow's World called "Look Around You," um, uh, which is a lot of that's on YouTube. So after you finish searching for Tomorrow's World, also search for "Look Around You." Anyway, um, they were had a they had a whole segment on the you know the computer controlled uh, you know motion cameras that they used to do the the dogfights on Star Wars, mm. and I was immediately incredibly in, in, in captured by that and thought that was tremendously exciting. I wanted to see spaceships fly around like airplanes right. and you know zapping each other with with, the, with lasers. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually watching the Invisible Enemy was like, oh yes, this is this is this is what Star Wars is going to be like. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is really really exciting. So I was I was very and I you know of course I love all that old school model work I, right. did, I did then and I do now. I was a big Thunderbirds fan. Um, and Captain Scarlet and all the Supermarination Anderson, Fanderson stuff. Uh, so you, anything that had spaceships and model work, I was just all over it. Mm. So that was, that was I, I very much enjoyed those parts mm-hmm. of the show, even though, as you point out, they're, they're kind of papering over the cracks in some ways. Right. I mean, the model work for the most part was pretty good. I mean, there's, there are some slip-ups, like the first time we see the by all foundation it already looks damaged as if the space shuttle had already crashed into it right some of the like the opening scenes of the model they kind of wobble a little bit weirdly i don't yeah. know it is what it is it's pretty good but it's probably the best part of this production yeah you know there's crashing shuttles and exploding right. things you know it is a bit like thunderbirds mm-hmm. um and it is a bit like you know a 70s disaster movie mm-hmm. and um, i i liked all that stuff and i still do uh, yeah, so that's what that's what I think about the model work. I think also excellent was the CSO work inside the Doctor's brain. Yeah. It almost harkened back to like uh, Claws of Axis, psychedelic type uh, right. CSO set design. And I thought for the most part it worked where it starts getting a little bit jonky is when they move out of CSO land and back into the set where we first meet the Nucleus. And right. it's, in, it's in those scenes where, again, the production values are let down by the budget. And yeah. the BBC obviously was able to do costume or period pieces fairly well. So we saw that in Horror Fang Rock, and we'll see that again in the Image of the Fendel. But for yep. the sci-fi, which is an entirely imaginative environment, 
it's it it's looking a little more stagey, a little more set. Yep, 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 yep. Now that's 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 definitely true. Though you know, if you compare this to like you know Buck Rogers in the twenty fifth century as well, or other sci fi shows, sci fi costuming is really really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think in some ways, you know, you can't really kind of blame the BBC for kind of failing usually um to do sci-fi costuming um do you think that the success of the cso invisible enemy led to the rather less successful cso in underworld well i think people were like yes we can do this they can be in an imaginary place and it could all be on cso let's do the whole show like that <laughs> i think what led to underworld is the we've got no money no money we're gonna have to i do think it. we're gonna have to do it on cso yeah. otherwise we're not gonna do it at all yeah combination <laughs> of uh hinchcliffe blowing the budget and the pound the value of the pound just inflation in yeah. yeah. uh, late 70s early 78 just uh yeah just put pay to that yeah. one yeah exactly um no i, I think the uh yeah the, the the cso work is excellent um what do you think we go back to the set design what do you think of all the crazy writing Oh, I thought that was inspired. It, it, it's, it gave... Yeah, it's weird and, and, not, and not explained. And exactly. it shows that the future has changed. Just as, you know, we have Chaucerian English, which is still recognizable, still readable, but very different from yeah. uh, modern English. Of course, English in the future would potentially change. Now, it's more unlikely because we have things that are fixed, like dictionaries and computerized spell checkers and stuff that kind of um, make our language more conservative but you can imagine that at some time we would simplify the language and spell it more phonetically and transit exit into e-g-s-i-t for example yeah yeah i think it's great i I just love the way that it's just not explained Mm -hmm. it's like no one really no one no one points it out right um no one says any of those Mm -hmm. words um, no one writes anything down on a piece. It's completely random and, you know, <laughs> beautifully unnecessary. Right. Uh, and it is one of the, th- you know, it's just another thing that makes Doctor Who one of the most awesome shows that's ever been invented because at various points in the show's production, people don't <laughs> people don't bother or don't have enough time to kind of check that someone isn't doing something ridiculously creative <laughs> that needs to be stopped. I wonder if that um, was a Martin and Baker idea or if that was entirely... Um, Newberry. Newberry, yeah, or this, yeah. I don't know. I think I've read somewhere that it was Baker and Martin's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems and I guess like something they would want to do. It seems Bakery and Martiny, and you know, and I bet, I bet they had, you know, some, they had some kind of conference mm-hmm. with with Newberry where you know the producer or the, the anyone who was actually running the show wasn't actually in the room and wasn't able to say, yeah, actually don't bother to do that because it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, well, it's, it's glorious. Mm-hmm. It's Doctor It's Who. reminiscent of the Santarin experiment where the Galsec space crew talked in a strange dialect. Yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all mysteriously South African, exactly, <laughs> you know, um, which is, said, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just, you know, the future is different. Right. And why, well, um, you, well, what, the, why, why shouldn't the future be different? And that, I think that worked you know, it's it's one of the small little details. It also, uh, <laughs> the TARDIS translation circuit obviously thought it was <laughs> intelligent or in, uh, recognizable enough that it didn't feel it needed to uh, translate it. Or is it only yep. is it only uh, spoken? spoken 
Does the does the translation circuit work on written language? I don't know. I don't know. Have we ever seen it do that? I'm not. I oh word. Someone mm. could call in. Call in. <laughs> if anyone just just call in and tell us or email. Email. Don't call. Text something. We, yeah, text us. De- tell us somehow. Actually, post on our Facebook page. <laughs> there you go. That's what you should do. Yeah, that's what you should do. Fan, please do that. <laughs> Um, so that's that. Um, what do we think? So, so we we got off on a tangent mm. with Frederick Jaeger and Professor Marinus. Um, I thought I thought he was pretty good. Um, did I, you, you like? Know, I like did a, you like Jaeger's performance with Marinus? Yeah, I did. Uh, better I did, or yeah. worse than Sorensen? Um, well, I think I, I my personal opinion is that because basically Jaeger's being blah, 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 Marinus is basically Sorensen. It's, it's, it's another scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaeger has felt the has felt it necessary to disguise the similarity of those two characters by giving one of them an outrageous kind of pseudo German <laughs> accent. That's my theory. Okay, and I think he does a good job. I think you know it's it's you know it's it turns him into a comedy character rather than a serious character, right. uh, even more comedy than he kind of is already. Right. Um, which I think is slight a bit of a downside. But you know he has a robot dog. You know he's not. <laughs> It's not a serious character, right? Really? Yeah, it's it's his dog's a robot, or is his robot a dog? Who knows? It's a little bit of the humor that's kind of the signature of the Williams era creeping in, but we have creeping in have kind of the holdover of the violence in the Hinchcliffe era with Leela throwing daggers at people in the back and threatening to yeah. kill kill everyone, and it's 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 more violent than. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's it is it going to be more violent than say Underworld? We, we shall see. <laughs> we shall see. Or, or, or more more likely, you will hear if you listen to this podcast another three or four episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of reminds me of um, oh god, what's the scientist in um, the Nightmare of Eden called? Anyway, there's this kind of kind of comedy space scientist, which I think is is his team seems to me to be kind of you know. Uh, Typical of the Graham Williams era of producing Doctor Who comedy space scientists, <laughs> um, and you don't really you don't really kind of take them seriously as a characters or scientists, particularly uh, much in the way that actually you took Professor Sorensen incredibly seriously. Not just because he was turning into a, a space werewolf, um, <laughs> but because you know it was it was a kind of a serious performance. Right. Um, and I think actually you know even though of course I did enjoy Invisible Enemy again just for mm-hmm. these flashbacks i really have been trying to excavate my 12 year old self as much as possible <laughs> i think i think i do remember thinking much to myself yeah this is this is kind of becoming less serious right. than it used to be uh, is that a good thing mm. and i remember thinking maybe this isn't a good thing it's more of a sign of what's to come that the humor is going to creep in and as we know now know that's a reaction to the campaign of mary whitehouse of of uh you know doctor who is supposed to be for kids and right right can't be violent we can't show how to make molotov cocktails we can't see our hero drown and wait for a whole week to see if the doctor will survive that that type of overreaction to the drama in the stories yeah i'll have to say let's 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 do a quick sidebar here okay Molotov cocktail is not a difficult thing to make. <laughs> um, I probably could have come up with that with my, myself without Doctor Who telling me. Like, you put some petrol in a bottle mm-hmm. and then put a rag in top of the bottle and set that rag on fire and then throw it at someone. It's not, it's not difficult. So I'm sorry, Mary Whitehouse. <laughs> um, the children of Britain did not learn how to make Molotov cocktails from Doctor <laughs> Who. They already knew. 
how to make yeah them. well this was the punk era so i mean <laughs> that's true kids rule okay exactly this was yeah, this is anyway. common street knowledge yeah let's rock down to electric avenue that's what i say <laughs> um anyway sorry sidebar there <laughs> about my dislike of mary whitehouse uh, I thought all the other actors were great. Um, I, you know, Michael Sheard can do no mm-hmm. can do no wrong in, in and he's it, there's a lot of pathos in in the low character. Mm-hmm. I think. Did you like his performance here, or as like Lawrence Scarman better? I obviously Lawrence Scarman. I think is the high <laughs> one of the high points of of Michael's career. Um, I, his uh, it's which is you know very you know very nuanced mm-hmm. and. Uh, lot of pathos in that character mm-hmm. um and i think uh, and i think low also you know there is it's, it's a it's a broader uh, more cliched character yeah. but i mean shared kind of brings it out he's he's he's, he's a really good actor he's more camp villain he's his he's given less in the script to work with too i think it's more yeah. shouty more threats more uh impotent fewer type dialogue i guess yeah, and of course he was Hitler in um, in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last yeah. Crusade. Yeah, there you go. So, so yeah, he's uh, trying out for Hitler there. Uh, yeah. Well, Steven Spielberg obviously saw the Invisible Enemy and thought, well, you know, he probably did you know, actually. This, yeah, this guy no, would make yeah. a really good Hitler. He would become excellent ginger Hitler, <laughs> <laughs> a jitler, if you will. <laughs> 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 Adventures of the Ginger Hitler, yeah. Um, and following in the footsteps of uh, Douglas Camfield, uh, director Derek Goodwin cast his wife in the role of the nurse in Professor Marius's uh, crew. Really? Yeah. That was his wife? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. What's, what's, what's she called? Something Goodwin? No, uh, mm. she has her stage name. Let's see. Yeah, I really should uh, write these things down. <laughs> What other things did Derek Goodwin direct? Let's look. I Wikipedia. think this is only Doctor Who, and thankfully, thankfully, he directed, so. a, he directed a huge amount of stuff. Um, yes, it was the only one he did. You are correct. You are correct. Uh, yeah, I wasn't overly impressed with his direction. It's a bit I, flat. It was flat. It was functional. It worked, but it wasn't. It wasn't great. Yeah. Well, and I guess you know, I mean, all the model stuff is Ian Schoons anyway. Right. So. Um, it's Nell Curran was his wife. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, oh, actually, here you go. This is interesting. So I'm just reading things off the internet now. Michael Sheard has played Hitler five times. Holy crap. <laughs> he, was in, he was in Hitler and Rogue Mail, which I can recommend, actually. That's all on YouTube. He was Hitler and the Tomorrow People. That's the episode that had Hitler in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he was Hitler and the Dirty Dozen Next Mission. Don't, never seen that. Okay. Indiana Jones and the, the Last Crusade. And also it is uh, the documentary Secret Hitler. Sorry, sorry, Secret History, Hitler of the Andes. <laughs> and that's a documentary. I guess so. He's also portrayed Heinrich Himmler three times in The Death of Adolf Hitler, The Bunker, and Space. Well, I guess. Well, there you go. I guess since he's got he's got a kind of a pinched kind of you know right. Germanic face, mm-hmm. isn't he? Yeah. And he kind of plays well. He plays what Admiral Ozzel or something in Empire Strikes he does Back, play where he's Empire Strikes strangled. Back. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. kind of plays these fascists. So I think he got to start playing you know Nazis in the Invisible Enemy because the low performance is very Hitler esque in some ways. Absolutely, yeah. Well, of course, you know, um, uh, um, uh, English English people will, of course, know him as the evil headmaster, Mr. Bronson, 
um, in uh, in uh, in Grange Hill. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's what we mainly know him for. So the uh, so anyway, so his that's so Sheard. his Lawrence Scarman uh, bit was uh, as a sympathetic character was a little bit uh, out of typecast for him. Yeah, it is, it is actually. Um, uh, I mean, Lawrence Scarman is one of my favorite characters in mm-hmm. all of. The, I actually, well, actually, Pyramids of Mars is pretty much one of my very favorite Doctor Who's in general. But Lawrence Scarman is such a great character. Both the Scarmans, the brothers Scarman, are excellent. But they didn't anyway. make a Michael Sheard, uh, Lawrence Scarman action figure, did they? Uh, no, they made a. Um, they made his brother into an action so figure. Bernard Archer, but not. There's there's a Bernard Archer hmm. action figure, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I could do with a lot more action figures from Pyramids of Mars. Mm-hmm. They should do the Poacher and um, Namin, the Egyptian. Oh, yeah. He'd be a good action figure. Yeah. Ibrahim anyway. Namin. Ibrahim Namin yeah. with his fez. Mm-hmm. Well, they um, could have packaged that with the pipe organ. They, oh, my. That. I would, I would buy the <laughs> hell out of that. Yeah. Um, so I think we're getting off the subject here. Oh, yeah. Well, bit. that's that's the problem with the invisible enemy. It, there's, yes. There's <laughs> not a lot to say. You know, it's... <laughs> It's yeah. it's not in the top. It's okay. It's not even in the top fifty percent of I would say Doctor Who, let alone Tom Baker stories. It's yeah. notable mostly, I think, due to the imagination of Bob Baker and Dave Barton, which led us to you know the canine era or era, yeah. as some may call it. Yeah, <laughs> some may call it that. Yeah, it's you know it's pretty. It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean there is. There is plenty to enjoy mm-hmm. watching it, um, but the, those those bits of enjoyment don't really, really add up to a convincing piece of space drama, mm-hmm. in my in my humble opinion. You know, you, you can enjoy K nine, mm-hmm. you can enjoy Professor Marinus's accent, you can enjoy Michael Shurd with his eyebrows, you can enjoy <laughs> the model work, you can imagine, you know, uh, Louise Jameson naked, which is what everyone else was imagining. <laughs> At least the older bo- older boys. <laughs> And also the studio, all the studio technicians. So poor old Louise, she must have had a terrible time. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of things, but they don't really add up to anything of any particular consequence. Right. It's no one's favorite story. Right. Yeah. It's uh, and I think the its biggest fans are probably those who really liked K9 and the debut yeah. of K9. So we're probably looking at children in the UK who were about 8, 9, 10, 11, maybe. Maybe 11. Yeah. The, the stupider 11-year-olds, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think that canine design that uh, I think uh, Tony Harding came up with, I, I think it's a really good robotic dog, and I think it's better than, say, like the Buck Rogers uh, Tweaky or whatever dog which was yeah, furry, yeah. more robotic, articulated. Yeah. I like the fact that canine is more... It's well. It's like a it's a robot dog tank, much like the Dalek is. Yeah, it's it's the the tank nature of K nine is good actually. I mean, you know, it's good that he has a um, that you know, there is a laser weapon mm-hmm. on his on his nose. Um, it's it's hard to aim, obviously, but at least he has one. And we're seeing we're seeing really the formula of uh, the Bob Baker, Dave Martin experience. <laughs> <laughs> kind of gel here this is the second serial now that we have the catchphrase we had eldrad must live with the hand of fear and now we have contact has been made but we still do not have the greatest of all which is the quest is the quest right that is coming up i i actually find myself saying the quest is the quest quite often to myself it does have application in many circumstances 
As does contact has been made, actually. Eldrad must live is not really that useful. <laughs> but certainly the quest is the quest and contact has been made are very, very useful phrases. And I, I actually try and use them as much as I can, hoping that no one will recognize what I've just said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Well, there you go. There you, I think I, we're done, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, there's really, really yeah. not much to... Well, whatever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, next time... We're oh, Image of the Fendal. Image of the Fendal, which is Chris Boucher's final script for Doctor Who. We will uh-huh. go over that with a fine-tooth comb, or maybe a rake. <laughs> Starring for our lady fans, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's mum. Mm, Wanda Ventham. Wanda Ventham, yeah. There you go. That's where he gets his cheekbones from. <laughs> well, very good. Um, All right. I, okay. Well, if you if you have been, um, thanks for listening. Yep. This has been a flashback Metabulous 2 episode on the invisible enemy. Ooh, I invisible. have been talking to Ben. And I have been talking to David. Contact has been made. Contact is now lost. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, get out of my brain. Ah! Doctor Who begins a brand new adventure, Image of the Fendal. The time is the present, the location, Earth, and Doctor Who investigates dangerous experiments with a human skull, 12 million years old. Doctor Who, next Saturday at 10 past 6. Thank you for listening to the Metabilis 2 podcast. You can reach us with email at metabilis2, as a number 2, at gmail.com, or on Twitter at Metabulous2. And again, that's a number two. Hope to hear from you. Bye.